Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be discussing work that we have discussed on this show in the past, but also work that often goes overlooked, uh, particularly in discussions of the tech industry. We've taken to describing this as invisible work or the work you cannot see in our pre-episode discussions of this topic because there's a real concerted effort by the tech industry to downplay the ways in which their uh, miracles of technology are actually just the product of a lot of faceless, nameless workers, often overseas. I think probably the clearest example of this is in our recurring villain now of quote-unquote artificial intelligence, which, when it comes right down to it, relies to a great degree on low-paid foreign labor. Yeah, low-paid foreign labor. Like, it's it cannot be understated how much AI and language models and, you know, algorithm algorithms that can determine if your face is in a frame are just somebody else's work packaged as a software program like that is what it is like it's it's really not an algorithm it's just telling a computer over and over again thousands and thousands of times what is something and what isn't another thing like it's people it's entirely people, but it has been sold to Wall Street and it's been sold to all of us as, the, you know, cutting edge technology when it's not it, it, like it, it's not just just to be clear. It's not. It's people's. Which I think reaches into one of the chief tactics that management, corporations, however you want to construe kind of the the powers that be in this case. One of their best weapons against the rest of us, one of the ways that they have to obscure labor abuses, to to hide all of the horrible things that they get up to vis-a-vis their workers, is to literally hide them. The direct inspiration for this show was, as, as many things are in this day and age, some idiot posting on Twitter... In this case, it was one of these interchangeable, soulless tech bro evangelists posting a video of the quote-unquote first automated McDonald's or first fully automated McDonald's. What he meant by this was that you could go into this restaurant. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Didn't watch the video because I didn't care. But apparently you could go into this McDonald's, put in your order into a kiosk, and it would just be pushed out to you. And to this person... They therefore assumed that that meant the order was prepared and extruded, I guess would be the term, towards him entirely by machines, that there was no human element involved, that the entire operation had been done without people. Anyone with a shred of intelligence would have known better. And of course, people pointed out, No, there are workers there who prepare all of the food because we do not yet expose super expensive machines to uh, the the deep fryer and that kind of thing. That's not really worth it for the company to do that. It's okay if humans get burned, but a robot might be a problem. There were workers there, you just didn't see them. And because you're a moron, you thought that that meant they weren't there. And to me, the ultimate irony of this is that the only reason you're seeing these posts is because, theoretically, Twitter's algorithm of newsworthiness or whatever Elon Musk wants people to see 
on, on their timeline pushes it out to you. Which brings us full circle, because that algorithm is also not automated. That algorithm is also human-trained. So we all got to dunk on this weirdo confusing hidden labor with non-existent labor because of an algorithm that we all continue to pretend is also non-human labor, that it's also a computer just doing stuff on its own. And to a real extent, this, this conflation of real labor and the machines just spitting things out with a mind of its own is by design. This has been like a marketing campaign by the people who have companies that are heavily invested in AI products. They want you to believe that these products are capable of, you know, not just labor and, you know, solving problems for you and your company, but also like independent thought. Like if you're confusing ChatGPT for something with a personality, something with the capability for learning and developing and growing. That is because it's exactly what OpenAI wants you to think of ChatGPT. That conflation redounds to their benefit. Because if you pause to consider that AI is just a robot still spitting out ones and zeros, still like doing if-then equations on the back end, still relying heavily on not just like the training of lots of human-produced work and knowledge and information, but also on like the continual work of people who are alive getting paid by OpenAI to do that work. Then suddenly the prospect that they're selling to people becomes a lot less revolutionary. It becomes less world altering and more mundane. You know, it's not something that is actually going to upend the world the way they are marketing it as. There was an article in The Verge last summer with the headline, AI is a lot of work, which I think has a lot of useful reporting on this issue. Specifically, it follows along with a, um, what would be the term for this labor? Because it is so hidden, we don't have a useful term for it, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, in the article, they call them annotators. Because they're, like, that's that's what they have been assigned to do, is they're taking images or, or text or whatever and marking it and noting it in such a way that a computer can learn from it. So the article follows an annotator who they named Joe in Nairobi, Kenya. Quoting from the article, it was a job in a place where jobs were scarce and Joe turned out hundreds of graduates. After boot camp, they went home to work alone in their bedrooms and kitchens, forbidden from telling anyone what they were working on, which wasn't really a problem because they rarely knew themselves. Labeling up for self-driving cars was obvious, but what about categorizing whether snippets of distorted dialogue were spoken by a robot or a human? Uploading photos of yourself staring into a webcam with a blank expression, then with a grin, then wearing a motorcycle helmet. Each project was such a small component of some larger process that it was difficult to say what they were actually training AI to do, nor did the names of the projects offer any clues. Crab generation, whale segment, Woodland Gyro, and Pillbox Bratwurst. They were non-secretary code names for non-secretary work. As for the company employing them, most knew it only as Remo Tasks, a website offering work to anyone fluent in English. Like most of the annotators I spoke with, Joe was unaware until I told him that Remo Tasks is the worker-facing subsidiary of a company called Scale AI, a multi-billion dollar Silicon Valley data vendor that counts OpenAI and the U.S. military among its customers. And it's hard to say. Well, and now those are going to be the same people. OpenAI just quietly removed its ban on military and warfare-related applications, which I can't wait until the Joint Chiefs of Staff are asking ChatGPT where it should bomb next. I'm sure those answers are going to be scintillating for everyone involved. 
the the segment that you've just read gets at kind of three of the threads that pull here. One, as we talked about, this is labor that is largely being done outside the U.S. The Verge article gets into the fact that U.S. versions of this often pay better and are typically more based around subject matter expertise. So I, I think it mentions at one point that you can like one of the tasks that's available is you can make $25 an hour teaching an AI poetry, which, you know, those of us who watch Star Trek The Next Generation uh, know how this goes. On the other side of things, a lot of these foreign workers that are doing this are making $150 an hour, one three an hour, $10 an hour, maybe on the high end, especially when a site first sets up shop in their country and then churns through all of the available labor as quickly as possible. And then there's also an irony there in that companies like OpenAI and and all of these other various, you know, Alphabet has one called like DeepMind or something like that. All of these projects, right? You're, you're, NDA to hell. You're not allowed to talk about them. You don't know what they are. The projects are named like a couple of parents wanting their child to be a lacrosse star in college. And then on top of all of that, these are the same people who then go to court and say, it's impossible to create our product without having access, without having the capacity to thieve a bunch of data, including personally identifiable information from the internet. So on the one hand, when they want to lock down stuff, they're happy to do it. On the other hand, they talk about openness and transparency and how, well, sadly, we just had to take all that data because otherwise, how are we going to train our computers? So not that you needed to know these people were hypocrites. If you're listening to this show, you presumably already understood that. that. That kind of comes with the territory. But it is incredible how much it is baked into the structure of the company. They are fully aware that they are serving two masters. And it just... The, the value system that runs the work that undergirds the, the invisible work that we're talking about does not at all overlap with the stated goals of these companies. The, the other point about that is that, you know, workers don't know who they are working for, because in, in terms of like workplace democracy, uh, it is important to know what you're doing for a job. Like, I think that categorizing whether or not clothing is clothing in an image is a lot different than categorizing what targets we should be able to bomb. Both of which are AI applications that are discussed in that article of, you know, like on one hand, they, they could be categorizing something for a shopping, whatever. The other one, they could be categorizing stuff for drone footage and you won't know because there is zero transparency in who you are working for let alone who they are you know in in like terms of what kind of labor they're using you know what they're going to tell their stockholders yeah i think there is sort of a a contradiction here between the promises of ai which is that it's going to be this great labor saving tool and the reality of it which is that actually it requires an incredible amount of labor. You know, it's not the Jetsons. It is instead something more like steampunk, to use a very bad analogy. Noah is giving me a thumbs down. I assume he knows more about the workings of steampunk than me. I'm sorry to anybody I've offended. Unfortunately, I don't think there's enough, like, unnecessary gears on hats or... uh copper-plated telescopes in this reality. So I can't believe I'm saying this. This isn't even... This is less cool than steampunk. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's not the just Jetsons. It's not that automation has saved us work so that we can go live in space. It's that we have created a system that is fundamentally just figuring out new ways to sell us stuff. Every time I see a phone ad, especially for like Samsung or Google phone or something like that, they're all talking about the new hip tech stuff that you can do, like removing a, a weird person in your photo or like zooming in on the moon. But it's just the moon. It's just somebody else's picture of the moon that they put on top of your picture. And, and like all of these AI tools that aren't really doing anything, they're just using it as a selling point to sell you their stuff. Like that's all it is. 
there's a there's a quote and I can't remember if it's it I think it's from the Verge article but it, I'm not sure. It's it talks about how if you see a technology but okay. Yes, I have it right in front of me. It follows a quote from um Eric Duhane, CEO of a medical data annotation company, Centaur Labs, where he says, AI doesn't replace work, but it does change how work is organized. And the article writer continues, you might miss this if you believe AI is a brilliant thinking machine. But if you pull back the curtain even a little, it looks more familiar. The latest iteration of a particularly Silicon Valley division of labor in which the futuristic gleam of new technologies hides a sprawling manufacturing apparatus and the people who make it run. Duhame reached back farther for a comparison, a digital version of the transition from craftsmen to industrial manufacturing. Coherent processes broken into tasks and arrayed along assembly lines with some steps done by machines and some by humans, but none resembling what came before. The end result of all of this uh, in the next paragraph is that uh, when AI comes for your job, you may not lose it, but it might become something more alien, more isolating, more tedious. Which I feel is exactly what AI has, like, clearly it's what AI has done. And that people who whose jobs are enhanced by AI, like, they're still doing the work. They're just thinking less about it. Like, I know people that use ChatGPT to write copy for them for website stuff. And you're still just doing the work. You're you're still doing the work. Like you're telling ChatGPT exactly what to say. You're just taking the time now to like check their accuracy instead of just writing it yourself. Well, I don't know. What is this? Minute 18? Uh, yeah. Every educational tech app used, every educational tech app has added AI features of some sort or another in the last year or so. And, I've tried them because, frankly, I'm paying for a subscription to these apps. The least I can do is give them a test, see if they work, right? Some of them did, and they have stopped working since. They are no longer useful because, in my case, I could use them to kind of build little prompts, reading comprehension type things. And they used to at least be accurate enough that with a couple of changes, they were pretty much set. And I could get some interesting output that I could quiz or assess or just kind of do fun stuff with in class. Just kind of be like, where's the mistake here? That kind of thing. Now they are so chock full of mistakes. And when I say mistakes, I don't just mean things like grammatical errors or accuracy stuff. I mean things like I ask it to use a particular set of terms and it goes off and does whatever it wants. Which I'm, I'm not sure, right, obviously how it was trained to do that. And it is very hard to resist saying things like it does whatever it wants when it doesn't want anything because it's a machine. It doesn't have wants. It's not Skynet yet. But it has become functionally useless. This thing that said it would save me time does the exact opposite of that. And watching more and more people come to the realization that the same thing is going to happen for any of their AI tools while at the same time you see people who have absolutely no, not a single atom of artistic appreciation in their bodies, decide that they're going to become prompt masters to to get mid-journey to spit out the exact, we don't need to get into the kind of art that they want to produce, but it's all pervert stuff. The fact that they get to claim that they are somehow doing artwork while the rest of us are like, I hate using these tools. They just make more work for me in the end. How did anyone get seduced into any of this? Tech evangelists is one thing. They're idiots. We know this already. The rest of us should know better. If you work for a living, if you don't spend 80% of your time posting on the toilet, you should know better than this. Why don't we? Something else that we had discussed in um, our preparations for this episode was that AI is a particularly flashy example of this, but it's also emblematic of broader trends in the tech industry. Everything is geared towards hiding the degree to which 
labor is really involved. Uh, Noah, you've mentioned the social media algorithms. Um, we've talked in the past, I'm punching out about the real traumatizing, often grueling labor undertaken by those who moderate Facebook and Twitter. But you also see it in things like Amazon's promises of free shipping, which has become an expectation among people doing online shopping, but tends to bury any sort of consideration of what it means to have free two-day shipping anywhere in the country and the massive amount of work that goes into that. Amazon, you know, pitches itself as a tech company. Uber pitches itself as a tech company. Grubhub pitches themselves as a tech company. But all these companies are really blue-collar work rebranded. You know, in Amazon's case, it's warehouses. In Uber's case, it's taxi drivers. In Grubhub's case, it's delivery drivers. A lot of this is just a branding exercise. It's designed to make the working conditions of the 1950s look like the future to consumers. Well, and I'd argue like the working conditions of the 1950s like were a lot better. They had pensions. What are pensions nowadays? But it's, and we talked about this in our new feudalism, it's, it's making you beholden to these companies that, that essentially own your life. Like they own you from, from labor to selling you stuff every day as you browse the internet. Like there's no part that you can escape because it's everywhere. And they've done that on purpose and they've, they've hidden like who they are on web, just like they're hiding who they are from the annotators. They're hiding who they are from us. We don't really know who they are and what they're doing with our, our data. I think we can wrap up this segment here. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk not just about the fact that this labor exists, but the conditions in which it exists and the reasons why a lot of p- the people behind this work are looking to unionize. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey guys. In our first segment today, we talked a bit about the massive amounts of labor that go into the quote unquote innovations of the tech industry, uh, specifically dealing with like AI and these language learning models, which are positioned and advertised as being revolutionary technologies that will be able to, in the future, save so much labor. They will be able to take your job in the future. But in fact, so far at least, it seems that all they're really capable of doing is making a lot of really crappy jobs instead. I'm going to talk in this segment about the conditions of the you know, thousands upon thousands of people who are undergirding this system of AI. Uh, there's an article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review uh, making its punching out debut here uh, with the headline, The Ghost Workforce the Tech Industry Doesn't Want You to Think About. I do think, just as a side note, I think it would be a big step forward for labor in general if we could have ghosts like help out every once in a while. Listen, Ethically, we, that might be a problem, though. We already have enough problems with people not being allowed to retire. I do think at some point, you've you got to draw the line, like, at death. <laughs> fair. No, that's totally fair. Okay, forget I said it. Quoting from the article, actually starts off in a very similar way to the uh, Verge article we read from in the first segment. Um, quote, in March 2019, Daniel Motong, a college graduate from South Africa, flew thousands of miles to Nairobi, Kenya. 
He believed he'd been recruited as an IT administrator for a company called Samosource, but when he arrived in Nairobi, he realized his job was entirely different. Instead, he would be a content moderator for Facebook. He would spend nine hours a day for a wage of roughly $1.50 an hour, looking at some of the worst things imaginable to decide whether they violated Facebook's content policies. Content moderators like Daniel are social media's essential workers. Without them, platforms like Facebook, WhatsApp, and TikTok would be flooded with hate and violence. Simply put, there is no social media without content moderation. Daniel and his colleagues worked in dangerous conditions. Facebook and their outsourcing companies like Samasource, now Sama, refused to provide proper, meaningful psychiatric care, resulting in serious, long-term mental health illnesses for many of these workers. The first video Daniel remembers moderating was a live stream of a man being beheaded. Not long after, he developed PTSD. Yeah, we've talked before about how uh, content moderators are one of the many unseen workforces behind our modern life and how they are absolutely necessary, but also the worst job imaginable. In part because people are monsters and in part because corporations are somehow even worse. Well, they're they're made up of people ultimately. They're they're these big conglomerations of the worst kinds of people, all put into one big you know, a, a weird fused theoretical hive mind that has no objective but profit. It, it's basically a, a model that's meant to generate something like a social, a, a landscape of social media where the only way to keep the most horrifying things that humanity can do to each other at bay is to pay a bunch of people to do it. And this, this, you know how bad this is when companies have to lie to you openly and and completely lie to you to get you to take up this kind of work because it sucks i mean anybody who's ever experienced the unregulated portions of the internet knows how bad and how quickly bad it can get the these these people are doing a, a herculean feat and they are not getting anywhere close to compensated properly for it there's a brief novel I read last year called We Had to Remove This Post, where the main characters work at one of these content moderation companies, you know, subcontractors of subcontractors. One of the plot points in the novel is how after repeated exposure to things like cons- conspiracy theories and violence and, you know, the things they're supposed to keep off these sites many of the workers at this subcontractor end up becoming flat earth theorists uh, because they've just seen enough good evidence for the case. That digression aside, in the real world, these workers at Facebook kind of mirror what we're seeing at uh, companies like OpenAI. You know, large workforce, generally outside of the US, being paid little to deal with Ruling labor. Quoting from the article in The Verge again, most of the work on Remo tasks is paid at a piece rate with a single task earning anywhere from a few cents to several dollars. Because tasks can take seconds or hours, wages are hard to predict. When Remo tasks first arrived in Kenya, annotators said it paid relatively well averaging about five to ten dollars per hour depending on the task, but the amount fell as time went on. And really that kind of mirrors what we've seen throughout the gig economy here in the U.S., where these companies arrive in a market and, you know, initially wages are good, you know, pay is comparable to what the previous workers in the industry were making. But as they gain market share, there's a steady dwindling of the returns available for the widening pool of gig laborers. The point I'm making in all of this is that these trends are happening throughout the tech industry. They're like, this is a broad thing that's taking place. It's almost like they are all colluding 
and or the same companies who are all operating the same strategies to limit the options that we have available as far as the products we use, where we work, etc. And it's hard as a consumer or as a work workforce participant to do anything about it. I think it's important to point out that this is something that the tech industry has always done. It doesn't matter what part of it it is. It doesn't matter where you go with it. Uh, you look back at, for example, watching uh, a YouTube video by... Uh, this has got to be the first time we've ever mentioned him on the show. Uh, watching an H Bomber guy video a while back, you find out, uh, as a sudden historical note, that Capcom, for example, uh, when they were making the 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 original few Street Fighter games and so on, they kept th- most of their music composition was done by women, but they were forced to use pseudonyms. And in many cases, they had to use different ones. So they were kept from having a resume of work that they could point to easily and say, I did that, I worked on that game, so on and so on and so on. And only now are we finally beginning to weave that history together. So this is something that tech companies have always done. They have always prized not doing the work, but being in charge of who does the work. In which case, they are literally the same as every company that has come before them. They can't admit that because they don't want to say openly that they're the same as, you know, a a lumber mill or a gold mine or any other industry, you know, that, that already relied on extracting labor from the human body. They don't want to admit that. But that is what they are. You don't make the money by actually producing anything or, or extracting anything or doing anything. You make the money by telling other people to do it or being the platform that they have to access in order to do it. That That's that's how you make money. And we have allowed these companies not just to make money, not just to profit, but to evangelize and to turn sections of the population into frankly almost cult-like people so you'll get for example apple customers will get dragooned into defending and into opposing right to repair laws because the company tells them that this will compromise your security if if you're allowed to you know open up your iphone and, and work on it yourself or Amazon, or every time Amazon does something with Prime that makes it worse, you get a bunch of people who feel the need to point out to you that it's a fairly decent streaming service. It's not. No, you talk about the people who um, are just compelled to defend Apple and its services online, to argue in favor of the things X company is doing um, I say X in the algebra term, not in the term of X. Uh, unfortunately, have to clarify that. I was going to ask. Because this Verge article also has one of those guys. He just happens to be like a content moderator about AI and started annotating because he wants to help bring about a fully automated post-work future. But earlier this year, someone dropped a time story into one of his WhatsApp groups about workers training ChatGPT to recognize toxic content who are getting paid less than $2 an hour by the vendor Sama AI. Quote, people were angry that these companies are so profitable but paying so poorly, Victor said. He was unaware until I told him about RemoTask's connection to scale. Instructions for one of the tasks he worked on were nearly identical to those used by OpenAI, which meant he had likely been training ChatGPT as well for approximately $3 per hour. Quote, I remember that someone posted that we will be remembered in the future, he said, and somebody else replied, we are being treated worse than foot soldiers. We will be remembered nowhere in the future. I remember that very well. Nobody will recognize the work we did or the effort we put in. And it's very like hmm, 
chastening to see that written out in print to see that sentiment because i mean to be blunt i think a lot of us have that sense that the work we do is pointless and will not be remembered at one point or another in our careers where is it more true than for this guy for the thousands of uh, victors out there working in in conditions where they don't even really have any ability to know what the end product of what their labor looks like. Um, it is alienation. What's, yeah, and what's worse is that they will make movies about the billionaires who are exploiting them and coming up with this ingenious system to ship labor off from and country hop from one place to another to the point where these at the end of the Verge article, they start talking about how they use VPNs to remote in and, and disguise their location because the the work left Kenya and it went to Malaysia and it went to the Philippines where they were getting paid more, but it just wasn't them doing it. And they couldn't even apply and work there. It's a remote job. Who cares where you work? Except it does matter because as these companies say over and over, they're paying a living, living wage for the location in which they're working, which means they don't care at all about a living wage. They care about the bottom line. Yeah. Recognition, acknowledgement, and fair pay of this work is antithetical to the tech industry. The ultimate, there is no fixing this without breaking up the tech industry and frankly, destroying it. I feel like every time we talk about this kind of stuff, every time we talk about any tech application, there's always this need to kind of say, well, it would be wonderful if it if it just did work for people, right? Humanity. It's never going to. This industry will never favor the majority of us. It will always be there to elevate the status of a few completely undeserving little Caligula lights to the the status of temporary gods. That is all it will ever do. If you want it to be, if, if you want it to serve the ends of humanity, if you want some mythical AI that, that's actually helpful for things, it's got to be public. It's got to be, frankly, nationalized. It's never going to do this anything good in private hands. We know it won't. Anybody who thinks that it will is lying to themselves. Uh, one last angle to discuss on this before getting into the uh, positive element of it all, if, if we do have one, believe it or not. It's in this SSIR article, which notes how a lot of the uh, content moderation overseas mirrors the division of labor within these tech companies here in the U.S., in 2022, Tech Equity Collaborative released its Contract Worker Disparity Project, looking at various ways the technology sector relies on subcontractors and what that means for those workers. This ghost work or micro work can include ultra small online piecework, ranging from tagging content to interacting with large language AI models. The pay is pennies or less per task. It also includes so called, quote, independent contractors who compose the entire workforce of gig economy businesses like Uber or DoorDash. Alternatively, it could be the vendors and service workers from cafeteria caterers to bus drivers who keep tech campuses running. Or it could be the temp workers who perform the same jobs as direct hires, doing everything from data analysis to content moderation to administration, yet lack benefits, fair wages, and job security. As the report found, despite the work of outsourced workers being essential to keeping tech companies in business, the divisions between them and direct staff are stark. Subcontractors make 75 cents on the direct employee's dollar while frequently lacking pay time off, health insurance, job security, or the prospect of career advancement. They are also overwhelmingly the same people who are already underrepresented in the tech world, including women, people of color, and non-binary people. And in this regards, like tech seems very old fashioned, does it not? Like it's just a mirror of industries that have come before it, despite the, uh, you know, all white sheen, you know, that Apple will put on its products. To emphasis on the white. Yeah. 
having worked with so many people, some of whom, to be fair, are literally children, who worship the ground that your Tim's apple and your... I don't know who the alphabet guy is anymore, and your Bezos's and your Musk's walk on. People who, the moment you use tech buzzwords, are instantly all about your project. It is... I have experienced too much of people falling for this stuff not to know that there is some power behind the messaging here. I struggle to understand what that power is because it is readily obvious if you look into this for more than a few minutes that this is entirely based on the same thing that every other industry is. And if you know anyone who is a contract worker for tech, if you know anybody who's got to do any kind of piecework or or go look on Mechanical Turk or remote tasks, I guess it would be, or anybody who's doing any kind of stuff like this, you know that all of the industries in our world right now are powered by not paying people what they're worth. And you know that because you're not being paid what you're worth either, almost certainly. So I really do not understand how tech has been this successful at selling itself as being somehow different when it's obvious that it's run by the exact same people. And and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it actually is increasingly obvious that they're the same kinds of people because of the other thing that we've always talked about, which is they're all being trained the same way. Being a tech CEO is no different anymore than being an airline CEO or being a restaurant chain CEO. It doesn't matter. You're all the same kind of soulless, soulless bastards. So you're all going to be judged, I think, culturally by the same standards. I did promise some good news from this uh, subject matter. Uh, And this is that some of those content moderators have formed a union. Reading from an article in Futurism uh, with the headline, OpenAI's content moderators just unionized in Africa. This is from May of last year. Uh, Quote, an historic step for outsourced tech labor, over 150 African content moderators whose work has underpinned AI systems at Facebook, TikTok, and OpenAI have voted to unionize. The newly minted African Content Moderators Union is entirely made up of current and former employees of third-party moderation contractors, according to the report. Those contractors include a popular firm called SAMA, which has held lucrative contracts with both Facebook and OpenAI. It also includes the Daniel Motong uh, from South Africa, who's noted in uh, the Stanford Social Innovation Review article, uh, who initially had been fired when pushing some of the initial efforts for unionization. There is, you know, even in what seem like incredibly powerless spaces, power in a union and in collective action and in like numbers, which if nothing else, these people have a lot of. And I do think, because it, by the way, it was not the quote I was thinking of, the one you read earlier. And I think it, it fits even better here. This is from a Jacobin article that is actually a review of Phil Jones's Work Without the Worker, Labor in the Age of Platform Capitalism. And Jones says at one point of people who think that you know automation is coming for all of us. Every job is going to be automated. It's going to be Ready Player One out there. And it's understandable why you would think that because, well, these people explicitly say that they're motivated by things like Ready Player One and The Matrix and never remember what the third one is. And they don't seem to realize that these are dystopias that they're trying to emulate because they're stupid. And the quote here is, automation doomsayers forget that a particular technology is generalized only if it turns out to be cheaper than employing a workforce. And it just doesn't matter how much you train these large language models. It doesn't matter how much you try to hide away the work that people do. It will never be cheaper 
to have a bunch of expensive metal robots doing all of this stuff than underpay human beings to do it. At the very least, it's not going to happen under capitalism. Tell you that right now. So workers do have still some power here precisely because of the model that these companies are using. Ideally, this kind of drive would spiral out from things like content moderators unions to make it impossible for any of these companies to get anything done without having to go through their workers. I'm sure they've already got contingency plans on contingency plans for all of this, but here's hoping that workers can stay ahead of them a little bit, especially because these are people working in, in they're working for very little money in places that have, frankly, I don't know how to do this without coming off as really just, I'm, I'm trying not to be down on the rest of the world here. Places that have been, been kept economically underdeveloped because of forces tied directly with imperialism and capitalism. Exactly. Saw the point made the other day on, um, I think it would have been Blue Sky where I saw it, that like if the end goal of these AI projects is to uh, be a labor-saving tool for companies, like <clears throat> at some point the sheer... Uh, failure of these products of chat GPT to reliably get information correct of Dolly and the other image generators to draw fingers is going to pose a problem for the AI salesman because eventually people are going to realize that they need at least one human worker you know, fact-checking the AI, minding the AI, making sure that the AI, you know, is actually spouting out true information and that that information isn't just plagiarized in a way that can get the company in trouble. We've seen just within the last month or so, the New York Times has sued Microsoft and OpenAI because so much of ChatGPT is built off of years of paywalled New York Times articles that you or I, you know, could not steal and republish, but ChatGPT will just spit out at you if you ask it certain questions. There is the possibility that this technology becomes more of a headache than it is worth, even to the owners of society, even to the people who, you know, currently think that it's going to be their biggest benefit. And that would be, you know, a fun, ironic twist of history, wouldn't it? It would. To be a bit of a downer, they're doing all this now because it's a race to the bottom. And whoever can outlast by exploiting the most workers and, and eking out so much more venture capital is going to win. And that's what they're betting on. Just like with Uber and Lyft eventually stabilizing and just... Racking, racketing up rates to exactly what they were before they came in and disrupted everything. Like, true. It'd be best if they all just went extinct, though. All of the tech companies. Yeah. Burn the whole thing. Start over from scratch. We messed up. It's fine to admit it. I'd also seen an anecdote along the lines of... Um, there's a self-driving taxi company called Trues, which had been operating in San Francisco, which had to shut down for a bit because one of its taxis hit a guy. But there was some statistic about how for each one of its self-driving taxis, they need like one to one and a half actual people making sure that the taxis don't go haywire. Which really goes to show that like these sort of labor saving mechanisms, like I'm not sure they're there yet. They may in the future, but boy, they seem like risky propositions at the moment. I don't think I don't think anybody involved with this is thinking in the kind of at the kind of scale that is going to be necessary to ensure that these systems work. 
it's one thing. It, it, this is similar to the problem that we always have where like every American thinks that the government functions like your family budget. You know, you just kind of tighten your belt when things are bad and it'll be fine and whatever, right? Much the same way. People seem to think that working out the bugs in self-driving cars or ChatGPT or whatever is like, have you tried turning your computer on and off? Or, or you know, click the thing on your router. They seem to think that it's something where you just kind of press the right buttons for a little bit and then it's fine. And the complexity of these things in terms of how much data they have access to, in terms of how many interactions they're expected to stomach, in terms of the inputs that are getting put into them, is massive. You cannot expect those things to react perfectly to do exactly what you tell them to do. The fact that, by the way, the fact that self-driving cars are still a thing after they have repeatedly killed people or hit people or injured people or whatever, that, that guy should own that company right now. To peel a little behind the curtain for the audience... I've been having major technical difficulties just in the recording of this episode. So perhaps it is best if we cut this episode short before more of those glitches can occur. Um, but I'm sure AI taxis or uh, language learning models are going to be flawless. It, I would almost argue that maybe these companies are glitching this particular episode out on purpose. Hmm. See, no one will know when I edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this was Punching Out. Gosh, I hope that recorded. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>